exciting, Jim, but not as we know it. This is This is Bashcast, episode number... One, seven, nine. It is 20 minutes past 57pm on Thursday the 30th of September 2021. evening's Bashcast. I have the weekend from hell, literally from hell, which results in quite a large betting mistake. Betting mistake, not just for me, but for a lot of people. I'm looking at the William Hale Great Sports Office. Getting those five bad boys calculated every single day. talk about an insane tweet from a professional punter. And we finished the Bashcast with James Bond news. This episode is no time to die. All of that and more coming up. In this evening's Bashcast. from hell which has gone past for for me anyway we were going away well I was going away I didn't know why or where uh, I was just being I was just told I was going away that happens sometimes when you're in a marriage doesn't it so I'm told I'm going away um, and I look in the diary I was like yeah okay yeah that, that weekend's a relatively quiet one we can do that I just have to be on top of work and if I'm on top of work I can go away. I tend to sort of have Mondays and Tuesdays 
very quiet and then ramp up Wednesdays through to Sundays with sport being on the weekend and things like that. So, yeah, I, uh, I was told um, I'm going away to a cottage with some of my wife's friends. That sounded pleasant enough and their children so my kids can run around and you get the energy of all of the children together in the same place and everything like that. And it, it, it marked quite a nice change because um, um, we had been away this year but only camping so no real holiday right i mean camping's fun um but it's not exactly luxurious it's good to have all the friends around and everyone to be around in the same place at the same time especially with kids but with kids you really want one of two things you want a villa abroad or you maybe want camping in this country or an airbnb or a cottage in this country you don't want a hotel with kids because then you're just stuck in the room with the kids or you have to sit in a restaurant or a bar with kids you don't want that nobody wants that um don't get me wrong I, I i used to love my nice hotels back in back in my not when i was when me and jen were dating but didn't have kids i remember seeing um an instagram post from the from the rapper example um and he booked out this villa which was just disgusting uh called um um, the Samari or something like that in Uluwatu in Bali um, and I was doing fairly well in both sports betting and in poker and we were in Bali anyway for a wedding so I treated my wife to uh, four days down at that villa uh, at the exact suite that Example stayed in for a thousand pounds a night um, which is not something I'll ever do again because of the kids because just now I think I would look at that sum for four nights and think, well, I could put that away for a car for my son's 17th birthday or something like that. But at the time when I didn't have kids and I was, I felt like treating ourselves and it was quite spectacular. It was kind of thing that the, the room faced a cliff, but and there was an infinity pool from the bottom of the room that you could get into all the way to the cliff. That wasn't even the main swimming pool of the suite. There was a swimming pool that was larger on the left-hand side just next to the private cinema. Anyway, what I'm saying is that I don't balk at a bit of luxury, but this hasn't been the year for it. We haven't been away abroad. No one has, uh, unless you're a nutcase and spending £80 on PCR tests or whatever they're making you doing. So I have been camping, but it hasn't been much. So I was looking forward to this cottage. And then, Friday, I'm packing up. I'm getting everything together. I'm getting my laptop and my iPad and spare clothes and I'm doing dinner for everybody there's like 23 mouths to feed so I've, I'm doing pizza dough I'm bringing the uni down with me so there's a lot of things that I need to prepare and um, uh, I just check where it is in the country we're going we're going to Leo Minster or Leominster I'm not quite sure which one it is let's go Leo Minster because that's likely to be wrong so we're going to Leo Minster in either in Wales or the English Welsh border not quite sure which one it's like a uh, very old and very sort of pretty town um and then i say and um we're going to a cottage what, what's the cottage what's the deal with the cottage my wife said, i don't know let me check and i see her her face drop and the color go from her face and she stares at her phone and then she looks at me and i and i say i say what's wrong jen where where are we going we're going to a cottage we're we going to a luxurious cottage i'm guessing it's not that luxurious now Go on, drop the news. Where are we going? And she looks at me and she tells me 
We're going to a youth hostel. A youth hostel. A Y H A youth host. A youth hostel. Oh my god! And I had a look at the pictures, and I was like, I'm not going. Why would we go? Why would we go? Why would we go on holiday to somewhere that's worse than than where we live? I understand the concept of camping, and that. That's all about getting to nature and getting everyone together and everything like that. But a youth hostel? A youth hostel. A YHA. A YMCA. Why are we going to a youth hostel? Why don't we stay at home and think that we live in a youth hostel and the home's the holiday? Wouldn't that be better? Surely that would be better. And I'm looking at the photographs and I'm like, oh my God, it looks like a prison. It actually looks like a prison. There's no furnishings, no soft furnishings. It's all wooden chairs and wooden tables. The kitchen looks like something from the 1970s with rules everywhere, like boards with rules on them. And if there's one thing I hate, it's conformance. It's why I'm an advantage player. I hate conformity. I hate being told what to do. I hate being um, shepherded into a pen. I hate having to follow rules. You know, I don't like any of that stuff. I like the freedom to be individual, uh, follow my own path and not listen or do what anyone else tells me to. I'm 43, it's my goddamn right. That's <laughs> why I don't have a job. <laughs> biggest fear in life is conformity. My biggest fear in life is Kevin from Accounts. You know Kevin from Accounts? He's got that grey suit and his skin's grey and his eye's grey and his soul is grey. There was a Kevin from Accounts in my old, um, in my old workplace... I remember this conversation desperately 15 years ago. We were stood in a, in a um, meeting room and we were five minutes early, as you should always be for a meeting. You know, why are you always time on time for your meeting? Because you're five minutes early. Why are you always late for the meeting? Because you're not considerate of other people's time. And that makes you a Rudy Poo. You should always be five minutes early. And me and Kevin were five minutes early. And that meant small chat. And he initiated the small chat and he was telling me about the, 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 the dividends from the fiscal year of the million. It was so dull. I was like, oh my God, Kevin from accounts, what's happened? What happened to you? What's happened? just life's too safe, Kevin. It's too safe for you. And so I broke his train of thought. I was like, we've got to do something. I'm going to dig underneath and find who the real Kevin is. And I stopped him with his fiscal nonsense and I said mate listen I know that I'm sure it's all very important but I've got a question for you this is a really important question tell me the last gig you went to he said what said, tell me the last festival concert gig anything tell me the last anything and he's staring at me blankly and I'm like he's not even he's not thinking of anything because I don't oh okay so I threw him a bone I said okay or, or the last CD or album you bought, you know, it was 2005, so it was still probably in those in that era where you bought them. And he just turned to me and went, I don't really like music, is what Kevin said. And that's because Kevin follows the conformity. And my biggest fear in life is that my son will turn into Kevin. Um, there's not enough risk-taking, and then life can become very, very boring because of that. Now, I don't associate everyone that goes to youth hostels with conformity. I do associate everyone that goes to youth hostels with youth. I mean, why would you go to somewhere voluntarily where you had to obey by a load of rules that were on the wall? 
and the bedrooms were prison cells. They were bunk beds and a sink. You know what I mean? And like the like blue mattresses, like white clean mattresses with white sheets that you have to put on them yourself. And then, oh my God, why are we going here? And it was too late to pull out because I was doing dinner for everyone. I was like, oh my God. So, after being a complete baby and throwing my toes out of the pram and actually having an adult tantrum to the point that my wife was actually getting a bit annoyed with me, I decided I had to rein that in a little bit. Um, and we packed the car. Uh, this is the Friday night. And we picked the kids up and we head all the way down to Leo Minster. Um, and uh, the kids are asleep by the time we're there, so we've got to sort of get them from the car to do bedtime in the house, and then I'm just knackered anyway, and I'm in a prison cell, so I just I go to bed, and that's my day. And I had a quite a rough night's sleep. I started breaking into sweats, and I was thinking, is this because I'm in a youth hostel? Is this because I'm in a YMCA? It feels like I'm in prison. Anyway, I wake up the next morning. I'm not feeling well. I'm feeling dizzy. Uh, I'm sweating. Um, cat, come on, over here, scram. She's literally, you've got the entire house, listen to me, you've got the entire house, and you're choosing to rub your head against the microphone. Of ev- The house is empty. Go and, ha- go and enjoy it. Go, scram. The sun's shining outside. Go and chase something. She won't go into the back of the garden because uh, the neighbours left a dead dog buried under the back of the garden for us. When they moved, um, not the neighbours, the, the people that sold us the house. That's nice, isn't it? A dead dog. What do I do with a cadaver? If you know what to do with a cadaver, will you write in to Tom at BuckyBashing.net, to the mailbag? Because I need, I need options. That's what... I need options, and I don't have many just now, other than a shovel. I'm not quite sure I'm ready for that. So I wake up in the morning, and I'm covered in sweats, and I've got to sort out Bucky Bashing stuff in the morning. One of the things that I need to do... Um, is we do the great sports offers. These are the in-shop William Hill 25 great sports offers. Things like over 42 goals in League 1 and League 2. Both teams to score over two cards and over seven corners in this particular game. Things like that. We have to work out the fair odds for each of them. There's 25 per day. And we say we'll do 25 um, um, days per month. We'll calculate in reality, we haven't missed one in like four months. We've done every single day of the week and we've calculated it. It is a logistical, interesting thing. I mean, it, it is, it's a combination of getting people to shops every day, getting the photographs over to us. And then when the photographs get over to us, we sort of say we'll try and get the graph up at 10 o'clock. I mean, look, if we get the photos at 9.59, we're not getting it up at 10 o'clock. And if we get the photos and there's some complex ones to do on there, then we're not getting it up by 10 o'clock because it takes time to go through them. Frequently, we get the 25 photos through between about half past nine and 20 to 10 on average. Um, And that leaves us with less than 60 seconds to calculate each of these quite complex bets. Why do we do it? Well, it's completely worthwhile. It's the highest return on investment we have on the site. Um, we've been doing them for years. For the record keeping, um, plus 32% ROI in year one. That was £29,000 staked for £9,500 profits. That's just to win £200 liability on each bet. 
right? So you want to win two hundred pounds on each bet, then you won just shy of ten grand for thirty two percent ROI in the first year. Um, second year higher, thirty four percent ROI. Um, third year a um, little bit lower, but still twelve percent ROI. That compares to five percent ROI on boosts, on online boosts are showing a 5% ROI and we're getting a 12% ROI. And we've got th- thousands of these GSOs tracked and we're averaging 30% ROI. It's the highest return on investment out of everything. I know some shops, they went on lockdown and they said, if, um, if you're staking on these all the time, we're just going to limit you to 25 quid. Because they're idiots. Because the thing about William Hill, they put these up in the shops, on the screens, there's 25 of them. And for ages, the managers were pushing them and saying, you've got to bet on these, right? And they were encouraging people to bet on them. And there was seemingly no upper limit, although they did maybe get the heebie-jeebies at stakes over about £500. And again, being stupid, they'd take £500 at even and they'd take £500 at 20 to 1. I mean, they would go by stake and not by liability. A lot of bookmakers still do this. It's just unbelievable. They're scared of the physical tra- cash transfer. That's what they're scared of. Uh, and instead of pricing them correctly, what they did is they just limited loads of people. And for a while, loads of people could only get 25 quid on. And it seems to have relaxed recently, although some shops, you get some some jobs worth, so some people with some memories are like, no, I'm not taking big stakes in that. And then there are other shops that they're happily take 500 pounds on. It's kind of a little bit of a cat and mouse game to find those decent shops, right? But they, they still can't price them correctly. There's still loads of value every single day. Now, of the 25 that we get sent, we have tools to work out a lot of them, but a lot of them are flying by the seat of our pants. And we make an estimation, and a lot of it's a rough estimation, but it's worthwhile because the EV is still out there. And we know this over how many tracked plus EV bets? 1,316 plus EV bets, you know? You'd have made five figures profit if you've been betting 200 pound liability on them so it's just and of course 200 pound liability what's that that's a 10 or a 20 to 1 you know what i mean there'll be a lot of people who've made a lot of money on gso so we continue to do them now they're a little bit tricky to do so what i do is i wake up from my prison and i've got the sweats and i'm not feeling well at all and i i go downstairs and I am making pizza dough for 25 people. And it's um, very difficult to make pizza dough without using your hands. But I wash my hands. And then I've got to prepare sort of two loads of flour, uh, flour uh, with uh, yeast and some olive oil and some salt. Um, and then I prepare the secret sauce, um, which apparently uh, isn't vegan, I found out. Because it's got Worcestershire sauce in it. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I mean, it literally is just unbelievable. So, so I prepare the secret sauce, uh, and then I get my bag on my back, and I go for a little walk around uh, Leo Minster. Um, and I'm following WhatsApp, and I see that the uh, 25 great sports offers have been sent through, and I'm really not feeling well. I'm really sweating badly. I mean, it was a sunny day, but I'm sweating and sweating and sweating and sweating. And I find a coffee number one. And I'm dizzy, and I don't feel well at all. And I order a um, Americano, extra black, extra no sugar, as always. And I find a little corner that I can plug my laptop in and put my iPad on as a kind of multi-screen. And I set myself up, and I'm like, right, okay, I've got to. I'm, I'm actually think I need to phone in sick. The problem with being the boss is that. There's no one to cover you. We've got BB team, and thank God we do, because in the days that we're sick, we would be able to do nothing. But um. 
um, BB team are sort of working through some of them and have to send a few over to me to work out. So I've got things like player to score a header, player to score two plus goals I've covered in a previous bash cast, things like that. Um, and player to score a header, incidentally. I um, do nothing but um, I use like um, the shots on target with your head stats from players or if I can get them because that's a little bit more volume than the goals and the divided by the goals per head ratio especially if it's someone like Maguire that doesn't have very many goals but almost all of them with his head you can get the, the low sample size can be twisted um, and we price those up but we don't formalize them because they're very rough but with the GSOs they can be very rough and um, I'm just about getting towards the end and I get up and I run to the toilet and I'm just sick everywhere. I just, I'm really feeling ill now. I'm not feeling well. I'm feeling dizzy. I'm feeling, I'm feeling ill. And I remember that I went out in Worcester with my friend Ruth on a few days before. And Ruth is a GP. And she told me that a lot of people she's seen have had this winter vomiting bug, the norovirus, and that she's come down with it as well. And I'm like, oh, of course. Of course, that's what's going on. I'm not dizzy because I'm having to stay in a prison. I've got the sweats and I'm being sick now because I've picked up this bleeding winter vomiting bug. Well done. Well done, lockdown fans. Winter vomiting bug going around during the uh, September Indian summer that we're having. Drink, everyone, by the way. Um... Which isn't something that I fancy doing on the weekend, that's for sure. And I just felt awful. I was dizzy. I had sweat dripping down my face. And I was like, I just need to get through to the end of these uh, GSOs. I need to check that the coupons are up on site. I need to check that all the detailed line scrapers and the bots are working and everything like that. I just need to get everything done and I'm going back to bed. Uh, I've got bleeding pizza to make for everyone as well. In my prison cell later on that day. So, um... I get to the end of the GSOs, and one of the very final GSOs, um, it is Anthony Joshua versus um, Ulisk. I don't know what Ulisk's first name is. Alexander Ulisk or something like that. And the great sports offer is um, um, Anthony Joshua to be knocked down two plus times, something that doesn't have, obviously, a Betfair market and something that doesn't even have an odds check at top price market. And ordinarily, I should have been just like, well, let's just skip this. Um, but I thought, well, can I find, can I, can I make a top price market myself? And um, I'm, I'm desperately trying to think, but then I've got to be go, go and be sick again. And, I'm, and I was sick for a second time. And then I come back and I'm, what am I doing? And I'd opened up the boxing in Bet365. So I open up um, the boxing and I find the Anthony Joshua. And I, what I'm lo- doing is I'm looking back for a complete market. And by complete market, I mean a market where every eventuality is priced up in there. Because then if that happens, what I can do is I can rever- we can work out the exact margin used. And then we can maybe sort of reverse engineer the prices by applying the margin either equally or with some bias if we think that that's necessary in the market. And I find um, exact fighter knockdowns um zero plus knockdowns one plus knockdowns two plus knockdowns three plus knockdowns for both anthony joshua and for alexander usik so here we go that's exactly what i want because this is a complete market with two plus in it all i have to do is 
apply the margin and Dutch two plus. Cat. I mean, seriously. Why? Can you leave me alone for five minutes? I love you. Bye bye. Right, I've kicked the cat out. Um, so this is exactly what I want. It's got zero, one, two, three plus exact fighter knockdowns, and um, the GSO is anti-Russia to be knocked down two times or more. So all they have to do is work out the margin and Dutch two knockdowns and three plus knockdowns. And, I, and immediately, Anthony Joshua, exact fight and knockdowns, jumps out at the screen at me because it's nine to two. I'm like, hold on a minute. Exact fight and knockdowns, two knockdowns, nine to two. William Hill are offering two plus at 11 to two. Well, that's not just two knockdowns. That's two and three and four and five and six and seven. And it's a higher price. It's 11 to two. Immediately, this is looking like value. And I'm sweating again, and I don't. And I'm like, I need to just check I haven't made a mistake here, because it's looking huge. If I'm, if I'm apply, even if with the worst case bias applied to this, and the margin, it's touching that. It's looking in the region of about six point five to back four point three ferrod. So I go and dig out another market from another bookmaker. And it's looking exactly the same. And so then I run through the entire thing um, with Duncan who's got a million and one other things to do himself. Because I'm just like, I'm just trying to make sure I haven't made a mistake here. And I can't think for more than two seconds without being sick. And I was sick again. And because I was sick again, I was like, I've just got to get the number out. I've just got, because I've got to go back to bed now. You know what I mean? So we got the number out as, um, um, I think it was, 4.3 was what I actually thought. But with the most pessimistic bias, I couldn't make it any worse than 5.1. So it's like 6.5 to back, 5.1 to back, uh, fair odds. Big EV sits at the top of the tracker, obviously, and I leave coffee number one. I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. As I go to bed, I actually pass a William Hill, and I go in to bet on this exact great sports offer. And I'm, but there's a queue of people, and I'm standing in the queue, and I need to go and be sick again. So I leave, and I'm like, God Almighty! I'm, now I'm being sick in a gutter in Leominster outside of a church. And I'm like, this is just. I can't stop being sick, and I've got sweat coming down on me, and I'm dizzy, and it's just rough and everything like that. And I get back to the house. And the dough's proofed. Um, um, and now what has to happen is the dough needs to be shaped into into individual dough balls that will then sort of, a second stage of proofing will flatten them before they go to the pizza oven. And I've got to use my hands for this. But no one else is going to be able to do it. And it's my project. But I think I've got the norovirus. But then I was already messing around with, the, with my hands earlier. And it's like, not the chef. Not the chef with norovirus. I've got to tell you, it's not good. And then I, I, I went to try and finish off the rest of the pizza making, but I couldn't do it. And I went and lay in my bunk bed in my prison cell. And then I was just rolling around and groaning. And I had my stomach removed because I had abscesses in it. Not my stomach, but a little bit of intestine. I just say, it sounds more dramatic. I had my stomach removed. I had some of my intestine removed because of abscesses growing in them. And they don't do well to abdominal pain. It's really sore. And I was really ill. I mean, really felt like I was dying. And then there's 12 to 13 under eight-year-old children screaming and running through the house. And my daughter coming up and saying, Daddy, I can't find Minnie Mouse. And my son, like, going nuts at the age of three that so many children are around. And I'm just being sick and sweating. And I can't focus. And I'm in a bunk bed on a blue mattress because the white sheet has rolled up onto the blue mattress because I've been in bed for hours and I can't 
find the strength to like push the white thing back and it uh, I'm in a youth hostel and it was the worst weekend of my entire life <laughs> and then I found out later in the afternoon that Duncan got in touch and somebody had noticed that the bet didn't look right and I managed to sort of focus on it again and what had happened is that the exact fighter knockdowns market is what I used for Anthony Joshua two at 92 and three plus at 14 to one but of course exact fighter knockdowns is when the fighter knocks down their opponent so I was actually picking up at, um, Alexander Usyk knockdowns if I wanted Anthony Joshua, I should have been picking up the Alexander Usyk to, to be knocked down. I should have been doing the Alexander Usyk market, which was 18 to 1 and I think 66 to 1, which meant that the 11 to 2 was absolutely appalling, really badly negative EV bet. Um, and so I'd made a mistake. And I put my hands up that this wasn't BB Team, and it wasn't Duncan, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It was my own fault. Now, in, ter- in the world's mistakes, I felt a little bit... I felt a bit shit, but I think I felt a bit shit because I felt a bit shit, if that makes sense. I'd now, at this point, got a fever, and I was dripping sweat onto my prison bed, blue, white, clean, latex mattress that I'd been given in this stupid youth hostel that I didn't want to be in, which is, why would you go to a youth hostel? Why don't stay in your own home, when you're ho- unless your home is not as nice as a youth hostel, in that case, get a new home. Um, and I was like, oh, God. The thing is, I put that up as plus EV at the top of the tracker. And because our ROI over 1,500 of these plus EV GSOs, I mean, that's not just like, that's plus EV GSOs. If we're only finding two to three a day, that's a lot of days of GSOs that we have on the tracker. And betting on all of them would have returned a significant amount of money. And then I've made a mistake on this one, uh, and I put my hands in the air. Now, if we were scared about making mistakes on these complex GSOs, we wouldn't do them. Because there are they are they can be error prone. It's not the same calculation every day. We have to think on our feet. We have to come up with new solutions to problems. I mean yeah, there's some standard ones that come up every single day, but there's a lot of new ones that come up. Uh, and um, it's the it tends to be the ones that are quite hard or not obvious to work out where the value lies. And there's a reason for that. If they were easy to work out, somebody else would have worked it out and taken all of the value and it would have been cut. Do you know what I mean? So there is an impetus and a value in actually having a stab at these really difficult ones, even if we've got a low confidence in them. And we've only got a half an hour to turn around and get it up on the site. And the, everything else on the site, we strive to get it right all of the time. We want all of the horse racing tracker right all of the time, all of the golf tracker right all of the time. And 99.9% of the time they are. When they're not, it's an odd thing that we haven't seen before, such as maybe a name mismatch or something like that. Some, and then we put a, a fix in place and a repair in place that doesn't happen again. With these, they're a lot more manual. And um, it's very difficult to have zero mistakes on the GSOs. Of course, we want to limit the mistakes. And of course, when you do make a mistake, it's either going to turn out to be absolutely terrible value, and then you don't notice the mistake, or it's going to turn out to be really good value. And that's why I sat and questioned it but I couldn't question it enough because I couldn't think because I was in coffee number one in Leominster with the norovirus escaping the prison cell that I was staying in and I just couldn't think clearly enough. You know what I mean? Uh, so if you got on it, 
um, as a result of it being at the top of the tracker for a few hours on Saturday. I apologise. We were on it. My runner was on it. And so I was invested in it myself quite heavily, quite a lot of money on it as well. Um, I apologise, but I hope you understand that it's going to be impossible to never, ever have a mistake like that on the tracker because if we want to be ultra careful, we will end up having nothing up on there. We will try and minimise as much as we can, uh, obviously, but uh, the nature of these things is that mistakes are possible. Uh, we do, we still track the ROI of the mistakes. You know what I mean? Just because it was a mistake doesn't mean that we don't track the ROI of it. We don't track the ROI of the negative EV bets. We track the ROI of all of the positive EV bets. And um, the ROI, including that bet, would have dropped from about 32.2% to 32.18%. Do you know what I mean? It's like in the big, in the grand scheme of things, that mistake didn't matter. And also mistakes can still win. And Usyk actually won the match. And when I woke up in the morning after the worst night's sleep in the entire world, the first thing I wanted to do was actually just check, check the boxing bout to see if Usyk had won, which he had, and then if he'd knocked Joshua down, which unfortunately he hadn't. He didn't do it once, let alone twice. So we made the mistake, I made the mistake, and the bet lost. And some people lost some money on some negative EV shenanigans. And um, that rounded up the weekend from hell. I'm a member of the Institute of Civil Engineers. Oh my God. How boring does this segment sound? Stay with me. It's not that boring. I promise. Listen, it's important to get some context here. The Institute of Civil Engineers is an independent professional association for civil engineers. That means that you cannot call yourself a civil engineer or a professional civil engineer or a, um, a chartered civil engineer unless you uh, are examined and pass various criteria that are looked at in very big detail by this institute. The Society of Civil Engineers, which turned into the institute, was formed by John Smeaton in 1771. And the acceptance criterion um, for chartership um, to be called a professional um, involved, well, um, my experience was I first did a very long postgraduate. I taught civil engineering to undergraduates. I um, went into a position where uh, I did my graduate training and climbed up that ladder. Um, uh, and by the peak of my career, I was sort of at director level where I was responsible for quite a large proportion of the management of the M25. The M25, you might say, that's just a road. <laughs> I laugh at you. Every millimeter of that road is measured. They Every indentation of every millimeter is known 
to some civil engineer who used to be me but isn't anymore um, uh, and the complexities involved with the investment decisions um, are huge. I mean, running into billions of pounds um, uh, um, if you get these wrong or right. So listen, civil engineering, uh, it's a pretty important discipline with a lot of uh, major economic effects and nobody can just call themselves a professional engineer i am a chartered civil engineer i haven't done it in a long time but i like having the fact that i'm a professional gambler a poker player a chartered civil engineer a dad a charlatan uh, a layabout i like having all of these bows um in my what's the thing called that you hold bows a quill in my quill it is and a bowsmith as well. That's what I am. I'm a bowsmith. Because um, being categorised by simply one single skill is terrible. I remember seeing some old match betting sites um, advertise match betting as a career. And the thought, the thought of that as a career sends shivers down my spine. The thought of gambling as a career even though it's my primary occupation and source of income just now, sends shiver down my spine if I ever spent any time sitting and thinking about this is what I would do forever. I can't do that. But similarly, when I was a chartered civil engineer, which I still am, but when I was being paid to be a chartered civil engineer about a decade ago, the thought of being a chartered civil engineer forever sent shivers down my spine, as did a poker player, as did a layabout. I, I, I think, uh, for me, there needs to be the element of a door being open at all time. But regardless, I understand what it what it took to be both an acad a success in academia and a success in a professional institute, the kind of rigmarole and attention that is required. Now, professional gambler comes with it, a lot of connotations, mostly negative. There's a, there was a poker forum that I used to inhabit uh, 15 years ago called 2 plus 2 which is a shadow of its former self but on that this this is a day where people went on forums to learn stuff as opposed to however the kids learn them these days and there was a great thread in there and it was full inhabited by kids uh, making money online making really serious money online 10,000 20,000 30,000 dollars a month uh, just by playing ABC poker as you could just now and um, it was more money than you could make going out into the workplace. And the thread was entitled, Why I Never Tell Anyone at a Party That I'm a Professional Poker Player. And the same sort of applies to people who are professional gamblers. When you are surrounded by like-minded people, you can tell them that you are a professional gambler. When you're surrounded by non... Well, if, if you wouldn't use that terminology. Nobody actually uses the word professional gambler. You're a gambler. But saying that you're professional, all you're telling people is that you do it for a living. Well, whoop-de-doo, there's lots of people that do, and we're surrounded by them. So showing off that you do doesn't do anything there, right? So amongst your peers, calling yourself a professional gambler makes you look like a little bit of a doofus, right? And for people that aren't professional gamblers, don't tell them that you're a professional gambler. Now, I would tell people that weren't civil engineers that I was a professional engineer or a chartered engineer because of the Institute of Civil Engineers that um, sort of assessed the capability of people and um, said, you know, you're allowed to call yourself officially a chartered engineer. So um, I could do that. There was an independent body that was assigning those titles. There's no independent body 
assigning the title professional gambler. If by professional you mean you do it for a living, great. But don't tell people that don't do it for a living, especially at a party. You'll get one of two reactions. If you go to a party and someone asks, what do you do? And you say that you're a professional gambler and they're not a professional gambler. The reaction will either be of disbelief, either that you're lying or if you're not lying, the the concept of a professional gambler is so alien to this person that you can make money out of it that they just think that there's an immediate association with gambling and negativity, that you're an addict of some sort. Oh, this guy's just an addict. Uh, it's too high risk for a lot of people to comprehend. And my wife had it for a long time from our inner circle of friends when she found out that I was quitting my stable job to be a professional gambler. One of the major things that she had from a lot of her friends was questions of, is this too high risk without understanding uh, how much in control that I was, how much I'd made, how much of a bankroll I'd put behind us before I made the decision. So the first thing is incredulity, either disbelief or that it's too risky. Uh, and that is the reaction you'll get if you're lucky. If you're unlucky, you'll get the reaction that whoever you're talking to at the party has a cousin that won £382 on a acre and didn't cash out. You know what I mean? There's always a gambling story that one was negative EV, and two, was extremely boring and pointless anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, how is that associated with you? That, that's fantastic. That's like me telling you I'm a chartered civil engineer and you telling me that in the bath with your kid earlier, you put some Play-Doh together and it didn't fall over. You know what I mean? It's like, we, this is not a conversation on the same level. Um, uh, so that is why... A lot of people don't tell people that they are professional gamblers. The word professional gambler is sort of meaningless. We know that people make money out of it. There are plenty of people at Bookie Bashing that do it full time, but almost zero will, of them will call themselves professional gamblers. Let's turn to Twitter now. We're at Pro Punter. This is a professional punter who calls himself Pro Punter. He uh, describes himself in his biography as a professional punter, not a, not just a punter, but a professional punter, an occasional tipster. Okay, listen to this guy. And he's always looking for the next winner, which, which is, which is, okay, okay. He's always looking for the next winner. There you go. The guy has one thousand two hundred thirty-two followers. I always think if you've got four-figure followers and they're not bots, um, then you're doing something right. You've sort of, you, 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 you've put some inertia together in terms of social media following, certainly more than I have. I'm terrible at social media. I always think that I'm being judged too harshly. So, uh, and so I end up just doing nothing on there. You know what I mean? So um, this guy seems to be, and he's got a banner of lots of horses running and then, like, the main profile picture is a zoomed-in part of the same banner. Actually, it looks quite good. This is the thing about social media. Looks looks like he knows what he's talking about. But that's the stupid thing about social media. I was, I was away recently with my friend Neil, who... Neil's a doctor, uh, but he is a... Um, he's got a unique space in the medical doctor world. He's a journalist, doctor so he writes um he's mainly a journalist um 
and he got into some argument recently on social media with some people about something about medicine. It's like, Neil, what are you doing? Why are you even discussing it with these people? You see, you don't need to be talking to them about these things. Um, if they're arguing back at you, they're not as trained as you are. So they're idiots. So don't do it. But he says, well, I look authoritarian, so I have to act authoritarian. Now, Propunter looks authoritarian. He's had 10,100 tweets, which is about 10,000 tweets more than I've had. So the guy looks like he knows what he's talking about. On um, the 27th of September, 2021, which, as I record the Bashcast, is three days ago, 11.43 a.m. in the morning. So unless he's an alcoholic, we can presume he wasn't drunk. Pro Punter writes, for what it's worth, and I'm not going to rip up the grammar of this whole thing, but starting anything with the words for what it's worth immediately puts you on the defensive, right? But for what it's worth, and to anyone new, I do not bet less than two to one. I'm a value punter and look to grab the value. There will be losing runs with this approach. But overall, big profits, especially from the exchange, patience and persistence will pay off. What the hell, pro punter? He follows it up. I could tip even money shots or 11 to 8 shots, but it's a mugs game. And punters need to understand this. They need to understand. You you punters need to understand it, sir. It's a mugs game. And if you punters are out there, what you need to do is you need pro punter to be telling you what to do. It's very hard to profit long term for anything below 2 to 1 and 6 to 4. Frankly, those issuing booms for 11 to 8 winners, etc., are embarrassing for the game. Hey, pro punter, we've got something in common. I 100% agree with you with the booms, although it's not just the uh, magnitude of the odds. Um, um, you know, in, in fact, the lack of insight with this tweet um, is so startling um, that it's worse than the booms for an 11 to 8 winner for a winner and a coin flip a situation because what he's saying is that anything less than um, 2 to 1 isn't value cannot be value which is obscene um, if I said to you roll the, uh, roll the ball on a roulette wheel and if it is number 1 you give me a tenner and if it's any other number, I'll give you a tenner. You're getting even money on a 1 to 35 or 36 or 37, depending on what kind of wheel it is, um, game, right? You're getting even money on a 1 to 35 shot. Well, according to Pro Punter, he wouldn't take that. Now, I'll give him some due. He then went on to elaborate that this is just horse racing. This isn't politics betting or maybe the casino example that I used but what's the difference if things are priced up efficiently then there is no difference and you can't possibly know if something's priced up efficiently or not in fact if you do know any efficiencies behind pricing then one side of the pricing should be obvious for you to be taking a side on because you're a pro punter but this guy isn't a pro punter of course he isn't a pro punter because he puts out a statement like that. 
What then followed was absolutely extraordinary. A number of people jumped in showing the logical fallacy with this tweet. And at this point, I thought, well, he must respect that he has put out a statement uh, and he has said it as fact that less than two to one isn't a good bet ever. And people have pointed out the fallacy. And as a professional, hopefully he will take the weight of information coming at him and possibly make a, well, either delete his tweet, which would be, a, you know, a reasonable thing to do, or to say, you know what, guys, I was possibly wrong. I'm now listening to people, you know. So as an academic, I'm a published author, right? Don't go looking for any of my works if you uh, are thinking that it might be some amazing romance novel. I am an academic author, and so my papers had to go through an element of me writing up an idea and then justifying the idea over a long period of time of observation uh, and then having um, references to other people that back up my assertion and my philosophy and then submitting that for an independent peer review panel who then try and tear it apart and issue a number of questions and corrections for me, which I have to address, only after which point have I put my hands in the air going, this is an assertion I've made best based on this evidence and all of the information coming back at me, and here are my conclusions, and then they allow me to be published in the journals, right? Now, I know Twitter's not a journal, but there is no journal for professional punters, the best place professional punters could possibly actually inhabit and talk to each other is on a gambling forum, which unfortunately, um, throughout the history of time, doesn't work very well as a means of discussion because it's um, there are elements of self-serving and if you give something and don't get it back, then you end up eroding your own edges. So there are legitimate reasons why gambling forums don't work. Or Twitter, where you could maybe bounce around ideas, but the problem with Twitter being you don't know who it is that you're talking to and who is talking back to you. Still, this guy is calling himself a pro punter and should be able to listen. And to every single person, and a lot of the people here that I respect, from Brodders to Fairway Wedge to Fog to a lot of these um, names that I recognize and I respect what they have to say and I read what they have to say and if I said something and they came back at me with some commentary, then I would give them the time of day to at least sit down and sort of ask myself, why are they telling me this? I think possibly I might have got something wrong because I can't get everything right. Nobody can. The world, especially the gambling world, is very gray. It is not black and white. Everything we do is gray. We estimate... Um, that we're getting a plus EV bet, but we'll never know for sure. The proof of the pudding could be the money in our bank account, but also we could have been lucky to have got the money. We could have run like God. There's a lot of people that made a lot of money out of gambling that ran like God. Everything is grey. Nothing is certain, not even for the bookmakers. Nothing is black and white for the bookmakers. And, on, and so for that, we have to uh, be mature enough that if we're challenged... We look at the shades of grey, the, the spectrum that we're sitting on, and we make a judgment 
okay, I made this assertion and everybody is arguing why it's not the correct assertion. So I might just backtrack here, but no. To every single reply, he said that he was right. He knows it's controversial, but it's true. And that is possibly me, grumpy old 43-year-old me, possibly saying now, is this a sign of the times? The, the youngsters are coming through, especially the youngsters in the field of professional gambling who don't have conferences to go to to bounce ideas around don't have a network don't have a professional institution to whip them into shape when they're doing something wrong and so all of a sudden the attitude comes across that they're right and they won't hear it from anyone else that is that's telling them that they are wrong if this guy was a chartered engineer he'd have his chartership removed from him almost immediately after this exchange with people I found it shocking. I only found it shocking because I wish that we had an institute for professional punters. Something that recognised the experience, the training, not necessarily the money in your bank. You could have run like hell but made all of the right decisions. You make the right You make a judgement on something, you come up with a methodology, you, you apply your bankroll management, you go and bet on it, and then you run like hell throughout the entirety of the edge. In fact, I'm thinking of a particular person, as I say this, and a particular edge. Huge EV, all the way through two seasons of football. This was available in shops. Um, it was a kind of edge that if it was publicised to everyone, that it would be killed. And it wasn't mine. Um, I actually found it independently and out of uh, respect for my friend. I, I, I can't publicise it because I have responsibilities sitting at a at the head of a community of people like Bucky Bashing, that if I give away every single edge and they all get killed, then what are we left with at the end of it? It's much better to sort of give people tools and allow people to find value for themselves than to say, it's exactly here and now it's going to get cut because 300 people and all of the gnomes are going to jump in on it. And my friend found this and it was a huge edge. And he bet on it for two seasons and I think turned a loss. And that's just the... That's just sometimes the game, isn't it? It was like the edge existed, but he couldn't do anything about the results. It was week in, week out. It's just losing and losing and losing, but it's 150, 160, 170% EV, and then losing and losing and losing. It's the way it goes. And that's why the guy needs a professional institution, because if that was the only edge he had, you could look at his bank account and say, well, this guy's a loser. I mean, he had other edges. The guy's not broke. Don't worry about it. But if this was his only edge... You'd say he was a loser. But then a professional institution would go, well, I like your work. Because the mathematics stand up. You understand your subject matter. Uh, your peers have looked at it. Importantly, your peers have looked at it and challenged it and said that everything stands up. And so despite the fact that you didn't make any money, we award you with the chartership, or a, a chartered engineer. You're a professional punter. I'm going to suggest that whoever's got at ProPunter has more value out of the Twitter handle at ProPunter than he possibly may get from actually doing any punting. Ah! So 1996 was a good year. <laughs> um, 
uh, I, I entered halls of residence in an area called the Vale between Harborn and Selly Oak um, for those drinking and academia years. The Vale being um, a sort of collection of Lake Hall, Widgington Hall, Chamberlain Hall, Chamberlain Hall, several stories high, where apparently, um, what's his name from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that presenter guy? Chris Tarrant threw a goose off the top of it. No reason for that to be true. No reason for it not to be true either. You just love those stupid stories, don't you? Many good people came out of um, of the Vale in 1996. Um, me, Tom, from Bookie Bashing. My friend James that no one's ever heard of, but has been on the book Bashcast a couple of times. Duncan, off of uh, Bookie Bashing, came out of Chamberlain Hall. Um, and Matthew came out of Chamberlain Hall, not of bookie bashing, but of, of acting. Matthew um, studied drama at Birmingham, could drink with the, the best of them, and then graduated and went down to the Weber Douglas Academy of Dramatic Art in London. Um, and everyone sort of went their separate ways. After that, until a few years ago, and I talked about this in a Bashcast, we were aghast when we looked at the betting for next James Bond after Daniel Craig. And there was Matthew, who, incidentally, when we were in Lake Hall or in the Vale, I could have happily laid you a seven-figure price that he would have ended up being Bond. But he was down to single figures. I mean, this was an extraordinary turn of form. I know he'd been in a couple of movies. I'd seen him in The Imitation Game, that one with Benedict Cumberdact about those people doing that things. And he was... But he wasn't... He wasn't He wasn't like a lead role or anything like that. And he was in Downton Abbey and a few other things. But what's Matt doing being third favourite for Bond? If Matt's going to be third favourite for Bond, I want to be in the running as well. I don't have any acting experience whatsoever. But I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> and if he does get to be Bond, he needs to take us all with him to all of these fancy premieres. That's what he needs to do. Not like even though we have none of us have spoken in the last twenty years. I won't lie though, when he was getting quite short for Bond, Duncan got in touch with him. Uh, it had been a long time since Duncan had spoken to him, and he asked the question very sincerely. For betting purposes, can I ask you a question, Matt? Are you about to be James Bond? <laughs> to which the answer, and I may be slightly paraphrasing because I didn't see the screenshot or anything like that, but it was something like Duncan, darling. I couldn't possibly tell you, which is an interesting answer. It's exactly the answer that you would give if you were going to be James Bond. It's also the exactly the answer you would give if you weren't going to be James Bond. Because if you weren't going to be James Bond, but people thought you were going to be James Bond, but you definitely weren't going to be James Bond, and then people asked you if you were going to be James Bond, the answer you would give would be, I couldn't possibly tell you, because the real answer is actually no, but where's the fun in saying no? You want to, like, string people on until the person who's going to be James Bond is announced as being James Bond. Um, 
So a few years ago, and I can't believe the next James Bond has strung on so much. I mean, Daniel Craig has been James Bond for 372 years, seemingly, just now. Um, And when we were looking at the markets, I think Idris Elba was the favourite. And Tom Hardy was the second favourite. And Matt was possibly the third favourite. Which is, and I'm not overestimating here, an absolute joke that Matt... (laughs) Is going to be the next James Bond. Um, it, that was about three, four years ago. And I remember we lumped on quite hard. And we talked about it in the Bashcast. And we had no inside knowledge whatsoever. Other than we knew this guy from university. And now he's going to be freaking Bond. Um, and what I remember is that his price got slashed. But only we realised that it only takes 50 quid. A 10 to 1 for these prices to be slashed because the bookmakers in these markets are just terrified that somebody has some some sort of inside knowledge that they know more. This is a market, of course, where the, um, people will know more than the bookmakers. I mean, if it comes to uh, what X2 odds or first goal scorer, the bookmakers or at least the compilers that outsource their information to the bookmakers are the number one experts. When it comes to who's going to be the next Bond, there are people out there who have the information that who is going to be the next Bond that aren't in the bookmaker's inner circle. So, of course, that makes the market very sensitive. Limits are very low and odds get slashed when things get bet on them. And what was happening is we were all getting excited about it and we were betting on Matt because he was high up in the in the odds to be next James Bond. But because we were all betting on him and we were all professional-slash-semi-professional-slash-chartered um, gamblers, um, we were betting... Higher stakes than normal people would, even though we were just mugging with no information whatsoever. And it was us that was driving his price down, if that makes sense. So we got him from kind of like near the top of the field to one of the favourites, just because we were betting on him. Incidentally, I don't think I have any of the accounts left that I had bet on him on. So if he is going to be Bond, uh, I probably have a court case in my hand to get the money out of. It was William Hill I was betting with at the time. Looking at it today... Tom Hardy is the 74 favourite as the film comes out next week. No Time to Die, which all of my boys are going to see. And I can't because my wife's away on frickin' business. And I can't get a babysitter. And one of the things about being a grown-up is that I can't just go and do things when I've got small children at home and there's no babysitter. And everyone's going in. Tuxedos are probably going to have the greatest night in the entire life and I'm just going to sit at home crying into my wine. That was meant to take. <laughs> James Norton um, is the second favourite at 5-2 to two, um, from Mafia and War at Peace. Don't know how to pronounce your name, buddy, but Regé... R-E-G-E, Regé Jean Page, uh, is sort of joint 5-2 to two, um, to be the next James Bond. And that'll be cool if this guy was there. He was in Bridgerton and Roots and things like that. And that could be Black Bond. And I'm a big fan. Black Bond would be absolutely awesome. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Thor from the Marvel Universe, uh, off of Home and Away. He's gone from Home and Away and he could be Bond is the uh, 10 to 1, um, sixth favourite. Uh, I'd like Hemsworth to be Bond for the simple reason that I was watching the Avengers movie with my five-year-old daughter the other day. And um, I said, who's your favourite? And she said, Thor. So why is Thor your favourite? And she said, because 
He's cute. He's cute. And I won't lie, he kind of is. Um, where's oh, Idris Elba, the old favourite, is now 10 to 1. So, you know, Black Bond still has an opportunity. Um, where is Matt Good? Well, he was single figures, but he's now 125 to 1. Look, Bond, why is it that people who can't take advice always insist on giving it? If there's anything you've taken away from this bashcast, one, it's an apology if you got on the bad GSO. Two, it's an apology if you got on mad good. Although 125 to 1 still not out of it. Whatever you do in academia. <laughs> whatever you do in academia. I do hope that you always enjoy studying. And you tongue. <laughs> this is Tom who needs to go to bed desperately. Signing out. This is big.